0: to the Near and Queer to My Heart podcast. I'm your host, Amanda G, coming to you from quarantine. Hope you're all doing well, hope everybody's staying safe, we're staying healthy, we're doing things to take care of ourselves, of our mental health, of our emotional health, and we're there for you. We're all here for each other, and I know we're all doing the best we can to get by, to get through, to get up, over, around, whatever we need to do, and we're really excited to bring you this episode. This episode, we talked to Beefcake, drag queen in New Orleans. Beefcake is just a wonderful, fabulous human being. Before we get to the interview, just one heads up, we did record this prior to... COVID-19 outbreak, prior to quarantine, prior to stay-at-home orders. Uh, so there are references to some shows and uh, especially the Always Lounge, which we love so much, Always and the Owner's Alia. We definitely refer to that And some shows that have been postponed or canceled. So we just want to give you a heads up on that. Uh, But we still brought you the whole episode because we do think it's important and we do want to keep talking about all the good times that are to be had and all the things that we have to look forward to. So I'm really excited. This was one of those conversations that I feel like just was so natural and so easy. And I feel like as an interviewer, I maybe asked a couple of questions, like three questions the whole time. And We just had such a good rapport and had so much fun. And I'm really excited to bring you this episode. So let's please welcome Beefcake. beefcake how are you doing
1: i'm doing well i'm doing well how are you
0: i'm good you are very comfortable in uh i never know how to say it it's a chaise or a a chaise
1: chaise Chaise? yeah it's a very comfortable one i i I could literally pass out on this i we've
0: been talking for a while so i know you through my girlfriend she does drag in new orleans Mm -hmm. and i also know you through softball yeah we were on the same team yay softball i actually played today did you? Yeah, we lost three games out of three games. But did you have fun? For two of the games, I had fun. Okay. The first game was shit, and I was like, I woke up early on a Sunday for this. I, I'm not sure. <laughs> did you grow up playing sports?
1: I grew up playing sports until I was in like seventh or eighth grade. I I played like very when I was very little, and uh, I did everything: lacrosse, baseball, soccer for one year. I did football a little bit in junior high. Everyone said I was I was good at sports. I just hated them why i think the pressure that i was told i had to play and then on top of that i just i, w- I really just wanted to like sit in a room and watch tv i was like a T- mr tv guy growing up i didn't have any friends so i would just like unless i was forced to play sports i was like at home watching tv and i could like tell you like on what day, what show was happening, what part of the season, what episode was coming up, every show, like anything. That was like my go-to thing. My mom used to say the TV show was, the TV was like my babysitter, because all you would see is me doing that or eating food in the kitchen. Yeah, but it's like
0: like growing up and how, sorry, not to, I always feel weird asking people how old they are. So I'm 36, I'll say that, and then is it okay if I ask how old you are? Yeah, I'm 30. Okay. So you grew up in a time, because I grew up in a time where like, if you missed your show, you fucking missed your show. Yeah, absolutely. And I had certain shows. Like, I was obsessed with Ally McBeal, which I <laughs> recently revisited, and they're was like, this is so problematic. This show is, there's just so many things that they did for humor that now are, like, totally inappropriate. You know, first of all, like, everyone in that office was fucking, which, like, HR nightmare right there. <laughs> And one of the bosses would just say inappropriate things. All he was obsessed with women's—they called them waddles—older women where their their chin kind of.
1: Oh, like the turkey gobbles. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: he would, but he would touch them. Oh, that's weird. That was like his thing.
1: Yeah, they would never fly today. It, the only thing I remember about Ally McBeal is the dancing baby, from when she was saying that she needed to have a kid. Yeah. Yeah, that's the only thing I remember. That was, like, the first, I feel like, viral thing. What was that dancing baby made, like, a...
0: Yeah, that might have been the first, like, meme or gif or yeah, gif or whatever it is. (laughs) But, yeah, if you missed the show, because that was on, I think it was on every Monday, like, 9 o'clock. And I had to be home. Like, I had to, you know, I'd be like, Mom, we have to get home. Like, finish your shit at the store. Like, so you did have to be home or you missed it. Now, it's, like... We, you know, my girlfriend and I, like, on the weekends, we catch up on all the shows we miss during the week. You can't, you couldn't do that.
1: Yeah, everything's so on demand now that you can just go you know, go about and get whatever you need. I, yeah, exactly. I used to remember it was, like, Mondays I had to be home by 7, and Tuesdays I had to be home by 5, and Wednesdays I had to be home by 8, and it was just, like, all those shows would be on at that time, and I just... What yeah. were your shows? Ooh, So this is what happened, was that I went to college, and as soon as I got to college, I stopped watching television. I... Don't watch TV now. I used to be like so into it. And like, it used to be at a point like when I was younger, the family all get together and we watch like Seventh Heaven. And it was Mondays (laughs) at seven. Mondays at seven was Seventh Heaven. And then. I remember having to come home early every day because *Tsunami* was on Cartoon Network, so I would catch like *Sailor Moon* and *Dragon Ball Z*. And then when I started getting a little bit older, it was like the ABC had the Friday night family slots, and it was like all the sitcoms used to come on the Friday yeah. nights, and you just spend your whole Friday night there. I mean, I feel like that's saying like loser. <laughs> spend my yeah, Friday we were night fa- home.
0: Family matter, Step by Step. I don't know if that's yeah, no, absolutely. your generation or not, but we definitely grew up with those kids.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Even like *Seavers*, um, who. Um, what show is that? Growing pains. Yeah, that was it. I just had the theme song stuck in my head all day <laughs> the other day. Oh man, but like yeah, all those like all those shows I-, I used to watch everything, literally everything that could come on. I was I was addicted to it. Was
0: it just The Escape?
1: Yeah, I was a really lonely kid, and then I got really bullied in high school to the point that I was like, I just would come home every day after work, I mean after school, and not do anything. The bullying got really bad to a point that like even like I was able to go home during lunch. So like in ninth grade at my school, ninth graders had to stay in, but tenth and twelfth could go out for lunch. So in ninth grade, I was getting bullied so bad they let me go home for lunch. Oh shit! Yeah, and then in tenth grade, I was able to go out, but I would always just go home for lunch because I didn't want to be out in town seeing any of the people that would bully me. So um, did the
0: school do any like? Did they do anything else, or were they like, oh, you can just go home for lunch, and that's that's us doing something?
1: No, the school didn't do shit, and my mom used to get really mad about it. school wouldn't do anything for the bullying they would just put me in counseling for it so like i would get counseled on like how to like handle being bullied as opposed to stopping the bullying and then they got really bad at a certain point that and i didn't know this until after i graduated high school but my mom like talked to my brothers my older brother is like one year older than me and then my oldest brother's three so he was a senior and i was a freshman and my brother was a sophomore and i didn't know that my mom told him to but they had their friends go into the locker room who had the same gym class as me and like bust in the locker and like tell the bullies to like leave me the fuck alone for a while. Oh shit. Yeah. Look I didn't at know your that mom. happened. That's badass. Well, I'm just surprised because my second brother, like my, the, the, not the oldest, but the one next under him, he used to be one of those people that would bully me in the hallways that almost made it like, okay for everyone else to blame me. Like we didn't get along for years and it was pretty bad, but I, I was surprised that he had his friends like tell the bullies to stop bullying me. So, Cause yeah,
0: because your mom was the ultimate.
1: <laughs> yeah, my mom was the ultimate on that, and so. But then, eleventh and twelfth grade, I got to take part in this thing called BOCES, where I got to go to a different school for half the day, and I would do cooking. And so, I was a culinary student for half the day, eleventh and twelfth grade.
0: That's cool for a high schooler.
1: Yeah, it was, um, BOCES, I feel like it was made for, like, the problem kids, so they, they had, like, a bunch of technical kind of things. You could do, like, automotive, or you can do, um, cosmetology, or you can do culinary, or they had some weird ones, too. Like, I had a couple friends that were doing aviation, so they go fly planes. Oh. It was really, really cool stuff, but, like, it was, you could tell that, like, the kids who would go to that school were the ones that, like, didn't do well in school and, like, were the problematic kids but
0: you weren't problematic like all, like no the kids that were bullying you should have
1: i wasn't problematic but i did have a passion for cooking and so they sort of were like two birds one stone get you away from the bullies and get you into something that was vocational
0: today this wouldn't happen no absolutely. i, I hope it wouldn't
1: no i i, I would hope so not also but no i i stopped getting bullied when i went to boces because i was only at school for half the day and i wasn't in any of the classes that they were in or they had getting kicked out i don't remember so long ago graduated high school in 2007 this is like early 2000s, this is all happening, but yeah, that severe bullying like affect me. So I didn't have any friends at all growing up. And so when I got to college, I was like, new start, I could do whatever I want. And then I went and I was like, I don't know how to make friends because I never (laughs) experienced this, you know? So it was a very big social experiment in college to be like, how do I, how do I be social? Like how am I, what am I supposed to do here? And so I would revert to like what would Zach Morris do in this situation? Pull out your
0: big old cell phone. Yeah, exactly. And
1: it would be like, I would be recalling all these TV characters I grew up with and like, let me act in this way because this seemed to work. I realized very quickly that Zach Morris is a douchebag and that (laughs) there's that YouTube channel that says, Zach Morris is trash. And it's very true. Um, Well,
0: yeah, he sold all of his friends out for chicks. All the time.
1: All the time. It took me about a year to sort of mellow myself into, like, a role of, like, hey, this is how I want to act and how I want to make friends. And so, by sophomore year of college, I was making a lot of friends. I joined a fraternity. It was, like, a lot smoother after that. But, yeah, it took me a while to make friends.
0: Yeah, I used to do that, like, um, because, you know, being – I didn't come out till I was 23, like, so after college. And, you know, my friends would come to me with, like, uh, their boy problems. And I used to give advice directly from TV shows and movies, (laughs) I was just—I was like, oh, it sounded good in the movie, but like a lot of it was trash. And you're just like, ah, oh, I just told her to give him another chance. Like that's right, right.
1: What it- a good friend would do. <laughs> exactly. That's that's what I'm saying. Like when you see like problems getting solved on TV shows, it's just. Don't do that in real life, it will never work out.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, where did you grow up?
1: I'm originally from Long Island, New York.
0: oh shit you don't you don't have the accent
1: no until I said long Island <laughs> uh, also, if you get in the car with me and I get a little road rage my my New Yorker comes out <laughs> quite a bit
0: yeah i was a I lived in New York for three years, but I'm from l a and I was driving the other day pretty aggressively. And my girlfriend's like, "That's your LA driving." I was like, "No, this is my New York driving," because I was <laughs> yelling at people, even though they couldn't hear me, and it didn't matter.
1: Yeah, it's a it's an aggressively defensive driver is what I call yeah. a New Yorker. <laughs> you're maneuvering, you're doing that. And it's just like I'm doing this for safety. you <laughs> fuck! Like you're just like <laughs> yeah. put your
0: fucking seatbelt on, you asshole. <laughs> Yo,
1: you, your fucking blinker, spin up into the next fucking lane. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, and then know.
0: where'd you go to? Where'd you go to college?
1: Uh, I went to a state university of new york college in delhi which is no one really knows this but in in the the boot shape of, of new york uh it's almost like dead center in the catskills it's about like an hour away from woodstock and then i did like an internship in lake george and so if you're from upstate, you don't call it upstate. It's really weird. So like being on Long Island, everything north of the city to me is upstate. But when you get to where I was in college, everywhere was like, no, you're still downstate. Upstate doesn't go until you hit the Adirondacks. And then if you're in western New York, none of western New York is up or downstate. You're just in the state. It's very convoluted and just stupid.
0: So you joined a fraternity. Were you out at
1: this point? No. So uh, I went to SUNY Delhi I, and then... So that first year, I sort of figured it all out, and I pledged uh, an off-campus fraternity. So we had, like, recognized and unrecognized. The recognized had to follow certain laws and things, but the unrecognized could, like, haze and do all that fucking, like, movie shit. kind Yeah. Of. And so I pledged one of those fraternities first in the spring, and it did not go well for me. And then in the fall, I pledged Zeta Phi Omega, which is like a local fraternity. It's co-ed, though. So it was male and females oh. in the fraternity. I came out within that time frame of pledging Zeta Phi. And it was like, I came out as bi. And then I was like, no, I'm gay. Wait, no, I think I'm straight. It was a very, college was very much me teetering on everything and not understanding what I was. And then my senior year of college, I had sex with my girlfriend. And then I realized that it was not, that was not for me. yeah
0: you know like i dated guys before coming out and i've said this before i've apologized to every guy like i ever i was like i'm sorry like i just didn't know because that's what's it's like this weird thing where society is telling you like this is what you're supposed to be wanting right so you're like okay well it's not really clicking in my brain but maybe if i just do it then it'll click in and something will happen and and then you're like i did it that it didn't
1: (laughs) right yeah, no, I I remember it. it was my last semester of college. I was 22 and I went to dinner with five of my friends and two of them were couples and it was just me and this other girl. And so the entire dinner I was talking to her, I was like, let's just pretend we're on a date. And that sort of spiraled into like, wait, everyone like started asking questions and spreading shit like, oh, wait, are you actually dating her? Like blah, blah, blah. And so for like two weeks, me and her were just like, let's just keep up the charade. Like, let's just like make it seem like we're dating. And that led into, well, are you developing kind of feelings? Like, should we try this? I was like, oh, I guess give it a shot here. And then it was after Thanksgiving, and I picked her up. I met her family, drove back to college. And then that night, she's like, yeah, let's have sex. I was like, great, let's have sex. She wanted me to put on Your Body is a Wonderland by John Mayer. <laughs> and it just was awful. It was just awful. I couldn't, it just, it took it took a long time, and it didn't end up happening. It was just, ugh. Yeah. Uh,
0: was that song on repeat the whole time? Luckily, it was just, like, or the first
1: one. But then, like, okay. silence came in the room. And I was just like, okay, you guys just shuffle, I guess, on yeah. this. But, like, it was just John Mayer on shuffle. <laughs> it was just like, fuck me at this point.
0: Yeah. <laughs> like, that sounds like a nightmare. <laughs> I'm mean, like, I can't do this. <laughs>
1: but I claimed it. I, I was like, it happened. You know, we got through it together. And then, like, literally a week later, I, I pulled her aside. I was like, I think I need to break up with you. And then uh, she seems to take that pretty bad.
0: Well, you just met her family.
1: Met her family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, it came across really badly because it came like I just got with her to lose my virginity and then oh. dump her too. So like it was a very. And you're like, that's not it. That's not it at all. I just discovered I'm completely gay and I just want to make sure that she's a that I'm not keeping her on because I'm I'm gay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: It's like you could, that could have been five, 10 years. You could have had two kids Ooh. before that announcement came.
1: Yeah. That would have been bad. Yeah. That happened. And then I graduated college. And then I was a chef. So I was a chef for like from 15 to 25. So that's what I went to school for. I was in hospitality management. And I got my bachelor's in that. And then like it was a concentrated in culinary management. So I was a chef for about 10 years before I decided to join the Navy.
0: So you came out to her at that point. Did you start coming out to friends and family? Because I usually ask this question. I ask the coming out question in kind of layers because there's layers to it. You know, maybe you came out to everybody at once or you just it's coming out day and you put it on Facebook. But most of us. <sighs> Most of us come out in layers, like an onion. You're like, I'll talk to my parents first or my friends and family. or the- Yeah,
1: no, absolutely. In, like, sophomore year of college, coming out as bi and sort of doing that and then, like, sort of making that establishment in my senior year of college of, like, hey, guys, that bi stuff and that gay stuff and, like, what I was, like, not knowing about, yeah, let's confirm that now. And so all my friends knew. And so I went a couple years after college. I would say I didn't come out to my family until 24. 24- 14 so about three years after i graduated college so i'm gonna turn 25 so i'm 24 at the time i told my aunt first and she's like i fucking know joe and i was just <laughs> like okay i'm glad you know but that took a lot to tell yeah and i was just like how do you think everyone else is gonna take in they're like it's gonna be fine and so i came up to my siblings next and they were all cool about it and then it was like telling mom and dad and i got really nervous about telling my mom because my mom for years had been trying to be like are you dating anyone? And like trying to be like, there's this girl at the, you know, at the salon I go to, and like very much just Long Island mother about it. And so I finally came out to her, and to me, she didn't take it well. I came out to her, and she was just like, What? I was just like, Yeah. She's like, Are you sure? Like, you, you seem really confused right now. Like, are you? And she's like, I've been with this for a while now, mom. I'm completely gay. Like, you know, the only thing I was really hoping to get out of her that day was like her saying, like, it's okay, like I, I love you, you know. And I she didn't she didn't say it. And it was it was really disheartening for me for a very long time. I think I still hold it a little bit. And then I didn't get to tell my dad because my mom told my dad but my dad told me on Thanksgiving that he knew. And so that was oh man that was crazy. My uncle and my aunt host Thanksgiving. And my dad's talking and he likes to gloat all the time. So he's talking about like how like all of my cousins on their uh, in my aunt's house like just broke up with all the girlfriends. So like it seems like our family's doing a lot better, don't you think? You know, Rick's got a girlfriend, Matt's got a girlfriend, Joe's got a a friend. How's your friend doing, Joe? And I was just like, "Oh." And I started hyperventilating at that point. My sister heard me and called me downstairs and she's just like, I heard what was going on. I was like, thank you. Like, I can't, I got fucking wasted that Thanksgiving. Oh yeah. But I I asked my mom, she's like, yeah, I told him. I was like, you think that was yours thing to tell? She's like, yeah. I was like, great. Okay. Sweet. Fantastic. Yeah, <laughs> really. all right. I guess it wasn't up to me. Yeah, exactly. And then less than a year later, I joined the Navy and got out of the house.
0: I always think it's interesting. Like, like there's some people like when I came out, there's some people that were like, oh, uh, yeah, duh. And then there's some people that are like, oh, my God. Like, what? wait, wait, you? And you're like.
1: How is it? My siblings seem fine with it. My aunt seem fine with it. Not just fine with, it, but like under, like knowing. They're like, yeah, yeah, I can, I can put two and two together here. Where they're like, my, I'm
0: glad you said it, and now we can just be.
1: Yeah, and and my my parents are parents. I don't know about my dad, but my mom did not. She was not picturing it. She just couldn't figure it out. It was like weird. Did
0: you grow up religious at all? Was religion? A I'm an factor? Irish
1: Roman Catholic, so I went to religion classes after school, and I did my confirmation. I even did a year as a religion teacher. In like ninth grade <laughs> but no i am oh god i would say i didn't go to church much i'll go to church maybe like maybe once a year and then when i made my confirmation like i don't know if i've been to church since besides a wedding and a funeral you know yeah I've, my mom doesn't go to church often, but then sometimes she'll like pull out. You're an Irish Roman Catholic. It's just like okay, like I, do you understand? Like you're not being very religious until you <laughs> want to pull the card.
0: Like isn't the Pope even like kind of cool with gay people now?
1: Is that? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, I, don't really... <laughs> I mean, they're not a, they're
0: not a hundred, but I th- I thought there was something where Maybe it's like they're kind like of like a twenty percent. Right yeah, now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But so you grew up in one of those households where it's like you did all the religious things, but you weren't like reading, like your we mom was reading bedtime stories and not the Bible to you?
1: Right. We weren't going to church every Sunday. We would go to church maybe like on Easter and on Christmas and like the, the big holidays was like church. I grew up with such a large family that the religious things were very big in the family. So like Easter was like everyone got together. My mom's one of 10 and I'm one of 20 grandchildren, so it was I have a very Religion. large family. So every all those religious holidays were very big parties not so much big church
0: so it's family time Mm -hmm. so you graduate college you move back home yeah okay and you're and you're a chef yes and then what made you say like hey let's let me join the military was that something you'd Uh, always wanted to do or
1: uh the military thing man there's like there's like the pc version i tell people (laughs) and there's like like the deep down like what actually happened kind of shit i'll go into that one i guess I was stuck in a very like bad place after college. Like I lost a lot of weight and then like nothing was really happening for me. I couldn't get a good job. I couldn't, you know, move out of the house, couldn't pay my student loans. It was not going well and so I was online on an online dating site and I came across this older gentleman who wanted to help me. And so I would almost say sugar daddy esque. But like the only thing he ever paid for was my my gym membership maybe like one month. But, like, he lived in D.C., I lived in New York. So it was really just on the phone and, like, texting kind of way. He was, like, telling me how to live my life better and, like, trying to get me to go to the gym more often and, like, doing all this stuff, trying to, like, very motivate me into how he thought I would really like to be. And he was an Army officer. He was a colonel. And he sort of was talking to me about, like, well, if you want to get out of the house you want to change all this, like, maybe the military. And I was just like... I don't really know. I've been really anti-military my whole life. I was never really one to like really like war or any of this. He's like, well, there's a lot of different things that you can do in the military. So he got me on that. And then we met because he was going up to West Point to one of the graduations. And we met because he had a hotel in the city. And uh, I guess we could say it it, it didn't go well. Um, He... Yeah, I don't know how to say it just being very blunt about it but like I got raped and I didn't register that for a very long time but like after that in not registering that I had been raped I just sort of was you know I don't think I need this guy anymore and like I blocked him and everything I was like I can figure this out on my own so uh, it wasn't until like years later that I really like regurgitated as like that's that's what it was you know to me it was more of just that wasn't something I want to do again in the moment and now years later I can say that that's what it really was was I was raped and then after that, I sort of just stuck to that mentality of like, yeah, the military was something of interest. And so I started reading a bunch of shit on it. I saw a recruiter and I started studying for the ASVAB, which is like the test to see like what you score to see what you know, jobs are available to you. And then, yeah, just I got into it at that point. I was just like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to do the military. I'm going to do the Navy thing. I'm going to get out of my house. You know, mom's not really cool with the gay thing right now. She's like, well, I call it she's tolerant without accepting So I was, like, going to get out of the house, going to, you know, change the life, going to, you know, not be in New York anymore, not be a chef, because I was becoming super cynical. Everyone coming back and be like, this guy wants a side of bread. Fuck this guy. Tell him to go fuck himself. You know, very much just, like, can't be a chef anymore. So I jumped onto the Navy train, and I just—it got me out of everything.
0: I'm so sorry that that happened.
1: Yeah. I don't know how to, like, talk about it, because it doesn't— to me, because I, it took me years to look back and see that that's what it was. I It's hard for me to, to say that I was a victim or someone that, it's also weird to say in the ways that like that happened and then I got something out of it. You know, I don't want it to come across as if like in any poor manner. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's just, to me, it was an incident that occurred it's not something that I'm scarred from as much as it. It's it's more of a hard thing to talk about because I don't know how to really relate it or to say anything about it. It happened, we move on, and that's what happened with me. I, I moved on from it. It doesn't. Yeah. F- the only thing that affects me is that I'm not really much of a bottom. It's
0: difficult to have those conversations with yourself sometimes. Um yeah. and then also to have them, you know, with other people. And it's yeah, I can understand where you're just like. Okay, well that you know that's a piece of my story and it you know led you into this direction went into something positive but you also don't want to get credit to that
1: right exactly that's, that's exactly it and it's it's hard sometimes to that's why I say I have a PC version of how I joined the Navy. It's just I get really tired of being a chef, and that was a way out, and both my grandparents were in the Navy. It was just an easy thing. It's, that's sort of my PC version of saying why I joined. Because I already had my bachelor's degree. It wasn't for college. It wasn't to see the world, although I did get to see quite a bit of the world. I'm very happy with my Navy experience.
0: I'm always interested in gay people joining the military period um, and, like, liberal people joining the military. I'm always interested in those because – I understand, you know, the need for a military, but, you know, I also understand that sometimes our country's doing things that you might not personally agree with. Yeah, that happens
1: quite a bit, actually. (laughs) (laughs) So it's like,
0: how do you reconcile those kind of two things together?
1: Yeah. Part of the reason I chose the Navy was that I saw that the Navy does a lot more of, like, aid Then, I mean, like, you have obviously the warships that launch tomahawks and all that jazz, but like, they do a lot more aid, like, crises and things. The Navy is there, you know? And and that was something that was more of like, okay, I can see a goodness in that branch enough that I would like to do that, you know? I also saw the Navy as like a smarter branch, and not saying that like offensively, but like, (laughs) you know, compared to some other branches, I felt like, I mean, I felt like I needed to, I, I had a little bit more of a. A brain on me that i could use in in the navy but yeah there's definitely times when like something goes down and then people ask for my opinions and i either say i can't give you my opinion because i'm in the military and that's wrong or it's uh i really can't I, i'm not in that situation that's not something i'm dealing with personally like yeah you know i'm not affiliated with the tomahawks launching and striking places in syria and iraq like that's not me you know that's that's the navy and i'm in the navy but that's not what i'm doing currently you know i do weather i'm a meteorologist and oceanographer in the navy i'm not doing the the hard front battle shit although yeah i really am not doing the hard front battle shit (laughs) so
0: what what got you into into that and where has the navy you said you've traveled all around the world
1: yeah so uh when i joined the navy i had a few options of what i wanted to do i knew i wanted to do something that wasn't necessarily on the ship permanently because i you know i'm six four and hitting the everything hidden oh god, it would just be bad on the yeah, show. Those little bunks they are very small, yeah. <laughs> but Aerographer's Mate, which is what the job title is, uh it popped up and I was like, is that available? And they're like, Yeah. I've never heard of anybody taking that job. It's like I think we have one of the smallest jobs in the Navy. I think there's like less than a thousand of us, including the officers. So it's a very small community. But I've gone to Hawaii, I've gone to Germany, I've gone to the Middle East three times on three separate deployments i've gone all over the united states i've seen almost all of the fleets that's how they break up the world the different fleets so i've seen almost all of the fleets so it's been really crazy and really really fun i've really enjoyed my time in the navy and just i'm done with it now i've gotten everything i wanted but yeah i've been to in the middle east i've been to bahrain which is like the central hub of the fifth fleet so i've been three month three six month deployments there and then while i was there I've gone to Oman, Egypt, and Saudi Arabia, which were pretty cool spots.
0: That's the military, too, does provide like opportunities for people, which is really great. Yeah. Were you in when there was Don't Ask, Don't Tell? No,
1: I joined in 2015, and Don't Ask, Don't Tell, I believe uh, 2010, 2012, something like that. Yeah, Obama repealed it. Obama repealed it, yeah. That was like maybe th- between three and five years before I joined, that got repealed. And when I joined, the military was very like, okay like there was I don't think I've ever dealt with anybody being like homophobic or you know anti-gay and I've come out you know I'm a drag queen in the military and I don't get much backlash from anybody on it people will come and like what I've established a lot of times is sometimes my community will interact with other communities and when I get the opportunity to interact with some other communities like the explosive ordinance disposal units the EOD teams I work with them quite a bit And they're very, I just want to say toxic masculinity kind of community. It's very much just like, how much can you lift? And what do you bench press? And this is the kind of mentality we're in. And so when you have me coming in with my wrist limp and like just my limp (laughs) wrist and uh, you have me coming in with my limp wrist and just being like, hi guys, I'm gay. And I also do drag and I'm like this. And they're just like you know screech just like "Eh, what what and this is like takes them a few times to drink with and then like after you drink a couple times with them they're just like can i ask you a few questions man and like do they get really (laughs) comfortable with you and i've been able to like change quite a bit of views in those communities that don't have people that are tend to be queer so it's been really good on that aspect
0: yeah and i always think that's i think a lot of people you know and this is not my this is a very known opinion like just hate things that they're scared of or that they've been told to hate and then oh, once they like meet somebody of something that they're like i hate these type this type of person and then they meet them and they're like oh they're just like me like you know we had stuff in common
1: right you know absolutely uh that's been the the main factor has been like just getting to know the person and be like hi i don't bite that's nothing be scared of I'm not somebody. I'm not a different breed of a person. I'm the the same person that you are. You know, we're having fun together. We're you know conversing. It's like, don't you see? Like that. That's everybody. Yeah. You know, no one's trying to come in and force you into a different way of life just because they live a different way of life.
0: And it doesn't make you less of a man or less of a straight man.
1: Exactly. Exactly. That's, that's sort of like been my sort of like motif of like what I do in the military is I go into these (laughs) spots and I go, hi, I put on makeup and dresses and I dance around. Are you uncomfortable with this? Okay, we'll come in slower at you and then we'll get you comfortable enough with it. I've changed quite a bit of views, but that idea of, like, fighting toxic masculinity and that basis is how I sort of pulled off my drag, you know? I was on a, a British warship off the coast of Oman, and I was working late one night and outside on the on the flight deck. And there's this guy working out. They had, like, you know, pull-up bars and stuff outside. So I just conversely, you know, co- conversationally started talking with him. And in conversation of me just being stupid, it's just like, you're just a beefcake right now. And he took that as, like, the biggest compliment, but then became so fucking cocky and, like, very arrogant and started talking, like, down to me almost as if, like, he was this, like, macho motherfucker. And I was just like, whoa, I'm not taking that. (laughs) Like, absolutely fucking not. And it was at that point that I realized I was like, fuck toxic masculinity and everything that it represents. I'm going to take my drag and I'm going to push it in a direction that's going to be fighting toxic masculinity and finding everything it represents and so by claiming that word beefcake and reinventing it as like an overtly feminine drag queen it's the first step in me saying you don't have this I'm going to redefine masculinity in a different way that's not going to be you and your cis white muscle no hair way i'm gonna be this hairy fucking queen and i'm gonna pull off masculinity in a, in a, a different manner
0: i was wondering where you got the name beefcake because it's mm. it's such a it's it's a different drag queen name and it's and it's interesting because it does have you know a traditional meaning exactly that would be like more like a masculine kind of thing but
1: yeah my my drag isn't uh i'm still learning I'm i'm not one of the um workshop girls I sort of been doing it on my own and it's taken me a while to get to where I'm at but I'm very really happy with my growth in it but yeah I'm trying to be more of like get the body right to like come off more feminine and like have this you know bit but at the same time I'm a hairy queen I'm six foot four I've got a size 16 heel like I'm not going to be Mm -hmm. passing as a woman ever (laughs) it's never (laughs) gonna happen but i'm going to be an extremely feminine version of myself to show you that masculinity doesn't need to be a physical trait masculinity can be about you know the confidence that you exude the masculinity can be about the the approach that you have when you're handling you know situations and and who you are as an individual. I don't see masculinity as this macho motherfucker. I see this masculinity. I I almost take it as, like, if you look at, like, men in the 30s and 40s, and they all wear suits, and they all, like, you know, did their thing, but they exuded confidence. And that's mm. what I think masculinity has at its roots is a, is a confidence and not a cockiness.
0: Yeah, and not a putting people. Like you could just be confident in you without hurting other people.
1: Exactly, mm. bringing other people up to your level. You know, pulling people up and standing them back up and being like, "Hey, like we're in this together." That to me is masculinity. That to me is saying, "I am strong and I'm going to make everyone else strong because of it."
0: What first got you into drag? Because you're telling me you're a teenager who kind of stayed at home and didn't really, you know, go out and do things. Things, and then now you're on stage performing it's, it's, i mean it's, it's such a different <laughs>
1: it was a big 180 but it was my drag mom hexorcist i knew her first as chris and we played rugby together i met her when the Rougarou just started and we both were on the team and so we just became really close friends. she's one of my best friends and She took the workshop. She took the drag workshop. And when she was in the class, I sort of got to her house one day. I was just like, Hey, like I wanna I wanna try this and she's like, Okay, sure, but get your own makeup, I'm not sharing any of mine (laughs) (laughs) And so I I, it was just an interest of mine. So I got the makeup and went to Hexorcist's one day. And so she was just she was getting into makeup because the class demands you like do it weekly for a while. And I was just following her and she was just like, Yeah, do this and so I would do it myself and I eventually ended up looking like Jennifer Coolidge for some reason. and then based off that I just ran with it so I would go home and I would practice like twice three times a week and I was just doing it myself and just you know as my Instagram shows I still only take bathroom selfies and mm-hmm. I, I need to get myself like a, some sort of screen but I just started doing that constantly and that was it and that was like the start of it I didn't start performing until last April
0: how did you start getting
1: gigs So I was writing Hector's Coattails for a while. (laughs) I would just go to the shows and I was sort of just introducing myself to all the queens there, just sort of saying, hey, like, I'll be your door person. I can be a kitten. Like, tell me what you need. Like, I'll I'll come and just, I'll just do that stuff for you. Trying to work my way in from the ground level because I didn't have the workshop to network with. I eventually posted a picture online. I was just like, it was right before I was doing my last deployment. So this last deployment, I just posted a picture online. I was just like, hey, like, one of my goals for this year is to just, book a gig and gail king kong reached out to me over instagram hey like i'll put you in for like a, a spotlight performance in my gig in april and i was just like hell yeah, yeah. like that's amazing thank <laughs> you so much and it was this gail has been um uh, man i love gail king kong so much and and she she just gave me the the opportunity to do that and then when i came back from deployment she booked me again for my second show and so then i had two numbers i got to do for her second show and so she she's booked me twice and then after that I hosted my rugby team. We do like a very like amateur drag show for a fundraiser and then I did the uh, misc uh misc for misc pageant. And so getting into the swing of things, I did another I did Hexas' Going Away show as well. And then I have a couple of gigs coming up in March, but like I'm just now getting into the swing of things of actually like performing. I'm extremely into it.
0: Yeah. So were you perform like I know in the military you were letting people know you were a drag queen, but were you performing? at all on like when you were on mm-hmm. deployment or was it just this is part of who I am and you need to know that
1: uh, it was very much just looks I would do makeup quite a bit and so like in the air, in the spaces that in the apartments and things like that people would be coming in and out and see me just putting on makeup all the time and so it was very much just that I've been I guess I guess that qualifies me more of a look queen than a performance <laughs> queen I don't really think I'm on that level quite yet but yeah it's it's I was just doing Instagram for a couple years now and so the performing stuff just it just started so I know I have a long way to to go with performing but I've been I've been really like extremely excited about like the next couple of performances coming up it's, it's gonna be really fun
0: and I'm sure it's different for every number that you come up with but like you know I do stand up and writing jokes it's usually like some shit happens to me and it pisses me off or I'm like that's funny and then I write a joke about it and then I you know go to open mics and I do that for drag queens it's like you don't have open mics you don't like you kind of how do you come up with your numbers and do you run them by anybody else like what's your process
1: oh I, I talk to everybody i'm i i get a little uh self-conscious to the point that i need to really like talk it out with some people so i'll, I'll talk to everybody about what i'm planning on doing and see if they have opinions on it i take criticism really well because I, I always try and find what the good thing is to learn from it is and not trying to just say you're just being an asshole to me because that's not criticism at that point that's being an asshole yeah some performances like i come up with like i'll either have the look and i try and match it to a song or i'll have a song and i try and match you know something to Produce with it, but that's something that Candy was talking to me. Was she's just like, we know she's like, you have the look down, it's great. And then work on the performance now. Like, what are you trying to tell? What story are you trying to go through? And so that's something that I've been like lately trying to work on is okay, yeah. I can either have a look with a mix, or I can have a mix and make a look happen. But like, what am I really trying to say here? Because I'm usually like picking cabbage. I'm very much one to go into the crowd and just like pull the dollars and yeah. not really give the performance that I think I should be giving. So it's something that's been going through my head lately is like, how do I come up with a performance idea? What do I want? to say when I'm on stage Um, but also
0: get the money (laughs) yeah but also get the money it's like
1: how do I say it in such a way that people are so profoundly like happy to see it that they're gonna throw dollars at me you know because
0: that's and that's part of it too is it's kind of scary going into the crowd
1: yeah that's a whole
0: other thing but also the crowd is there and they want you to come up to them like a lot especially at always they want you to interact with them and they they want to hand you the dollar they don't want to throw it they want to hand it to you right
1: a lot of times it's more to me the comfort is being in the audience to me on stage because I was never a theater person I've never done anything like this before like I have no background whatsoever in any of this kind of fields so for me to be on the stage is more alone and frightening than to me being in the crowd and being able to like work around and see faces and like pick dollars and things and something I'm trying to learn overcome is like how should I sell a performance enough that I don't need to go into the audience they will come to me and give me dollars yeah. You know, like, how do I give that kind of performance? And that's something that I'm trying to go through. So I'm going to be in the Joni Mitchell tribute show, Reckless Daughters, and... I'm gonna be doing a Joni Mitchell song but the way I got into this show when what I put out to them was that like I want to give this as like a tribute to my mom because I grew up on Joni Mitchell like she's one of the only artists I'd never had to discover Joni Mitchell was like what my lullabies were like she my mom would sing Joni Mitchell songs all the time and so I want to give this performance as like an ode to her you know I've had like a little bit more of a, a little rough patch in the last few years with her like I still want to give an ode to her with this performance and so I've been very much researching like okay how do I want to tell this story through my mother's eyes on the stage that everyone's going to relate to it and so that's sort of been like my process as of late for that show but a lot of times the last few shows I've been in I've related them to something personal like I was in Quinn LaRue's political drag cabaret extra and I did a World War Three number based off of like my military experience you know like it was very, or at least that military garb. My other number had nothing to do with me, but it was a number (laughs) I had a good mix for. It was a Monica Lewinsky number. I was just covered in cum. (laughs) (laughs) It's political. (laughs) Yeah, it's political. It fits the theme of the show. Right. So it's like I've related them very much. Like my personal life, I'm trying to more develop storytelling. And that's sort of in the coming months and the coming shows, I hope to really develop more of like, how do I give an arc in a four minute span? for you to understand what I'm trying to deliver. It's something I'm, I've been growing with. It's one of the things that, like, I applied for the workshop once, and I didn't get to have an interview to get into the class. And so after that, I sort of was just like, okay, I'll just do it on my own. But one of the things I I don't think I got to go through the workshop for was that, you know, they take 10 weeks on one song, but they are analyzing each other weekly on like how that performance is going and what they're trying to sell and constantly going over and over and over again. And I didn't get the opportunity to really work through the process of what you're doing on stage. I've had to, I've been watching quite a lot of performers. I watch Siren all the time. It's so captivating on stage. And I've always watched her, like how she's moving and going through the crowd and, and when she pauses at places and, that's amazing how you're doing that yeah how am i gonna work that into myself and make that happen for me you know like that's been like my latest thing is like why i've been i guess researching by going and enjoying all these shows and that's what i've always been doing but now i'm applying it differently
0: well it's good for you to see too because sometimes i know a stand-up someone they're like oh i love chris rock so i'm gonna do shit like chris rock and it's Mm -hmm. like yeah, but you're not Chris Rock, you know. So what you just said is perfect where you're like, I saw Siren do you know, and Siren's an amazing performer amazing. and host, fantastic, like hilarious mm-hmm. and knows how to shut fucking hecklers down, like is fantastic at all aspects of it.
1: Professional.
0: But seeing what SIREN was doing and saying, how do I apply that to me and to like still have my integrity? Exactly. So this is going to be the last question. How did you get to New Orleans?
1: The Navy. My A school, so like my schooling for meteorology and oceanography was in Biloxi. And I got stationed at Stennis Space Center. And so I was in Gulfport for a year, Slidell for a year. And then right before my second deployment, I moved down to new orleans at least the zip code because i was away for the first six months but that's sort of like my movement kept going more west
0: (laughs) because you've been here now for a while
1: yeah i've been in the city since 2018 so it's about two years now but i've been like in the area for about five years now i hope to stay i really 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 want to find a job after the navy and i really want to stay and really perform a lot more and get into the drag scene quite heavily i have so many friends here now that like i feel very settled at this point but It's all up in the air because I don't have work. So if either work or a new college degree is in the different city, that's going to end up happening. I might move, but in foreseeable future, if I can foresee in the future, I would hopefully be staying in New Orleans.
0: But what like is there something about New Orleans that got you, or is it just like they you were stationed here and it was convenient, or no?
1: I've always been a city guy, you know, New Yorker. uh, Constantly just needs something of like an urban center. New Orleans always pulls everybody in. I mean, it's the only. I can't compare it to any other city because every other city to me is just a concrete jungle. You know, everything else is a concrete city. And New Orleans is the only one that has like this culture of just like alleyways and backhands and just constantly moving. And the city is just always alive that's the biggest thing is how enriched and and just constantly moving the city is it's just yeah it's just so cool
0: (laughs) (laughs) we're glad you're here i know i'm I'm glad you're here and i'm glad that we've had a chance to talk i know you mentioned your instagram is there any other social media you want to let people know about how they can find you
1: no i just have the instagram right now it's beefcake underscore drag queen That's the only thing I have. I'm not really on Facebook just yet with any pages because I'm trying to see how the family. I haven't told anybody in my family that I do drag. Oh. Because long story, but it's just not something I want to discuss with them right now. But yeah, the Instagram page is pretty much my hollow ground is what I've been working on pretty steadily. So beefcake underscore drag queen
0: okay great we'll check beefcake out there and thank you so much for joining
1: us thank you i had a blast yeah that's not too scary <laughs> no no I,
0: I know i i kid you, you in a comfy chair and then it's like let's grill you <laughs> <laughs> no it's just a conversation
1: yeah if this is how interrogation we go i'd be telling everybody everybody's secret yeah <laughs> you want the nuclear codes i got them <laughs> <laughs> all
0: right thank you all right thank you thank you to beefcake for sharing their world with us special thank you to jessa fallon and ryan gollum for your help editing and producing the show find us on social media we'd love to hear from you twitter queer to my heart instagram and facebook near and queer to my heart if you have itunes and you want to give us a review we love it we might even read it on the air so please check that out thank you all so much stay safe we'll be seeing you soon thank you